You finally decided to learn how to ice skate, so you ordered the essentials every aspiring ice skater needs. A nice pair of blades, a shiny new helmet, and a good set of knee pads. And you used your Bank of America Cash Rewards credit card, choosing to earn 3% cash back on online shopping, which you put those rewards towards an essential piece of post-skating recovery, a heating pad. Visit bankofamerica.com slash more rewarding to apply now. Copyright 2020, Bank of America Corporation. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Open Floor. I'm Andrew Sharp, and on the other line, Ben Golliver. What's up, man? Not too much, Andrew. You know, unfortunately, I've got to self-report a new level of depravity. Uh, Yesterday, I was at the NBA Awards show, and you know me. I'm an old-school guy. I'm a writer. I don't really believe in the C-word content. You know, I think that's sort of a slur. I think that should not be allowed in the... uh, (laughs) in the writer lexicon, but I've got to make an admission here, Andrew, a confession. I was standing on the red carpet surrounded by hundreds of glittering celebrities and, and celebrity media members and, you know, NBA, uh, you know, big wigs. Yep. And all of a sudden, uh, a swarm of bees dive bombed <laughs> near the red carpet location. And you could hear momentary shrieks from a lot of people in heels and very nice dresses and fancy suits. And the thought flashed through my mind, Andrew, this is great content. So I went rushing over with my cell phone. And to be honest, I'm not a big fan of bees, but I was ready to capture the bees, the bee attack swarm and risk my own life to capture this content for the world. But thankfully... Uh, for all involved, and actually for my own soul as well. Very thankfully for my soul, the bees moved on, found a different target, and sort of left the the VIPs uh, in peace. So I don't know what the moral of that story is uh, (laughs) as related to the NBA awards show, but I do think I have personally reached the new low. Well, it's great. We're in kind of a lull before free agency chaos, and I think leading off the show with some exclusive Killer B reporting is a great look for us, so I appreciate it. Were, were there any celebrities actually in the VIP area at the time, and can you name anyone? Uh, I couldn't name anyone. Look, it was pretty chaotic. I'm not going to lie. This was my first attempt at storm chasing. You know, usually (laughs) I'm the person (laughs) running away from the bees. But like I said, this kind of flipped my whole mentality on its head. I was trying to do it for the gram and I shouldn't have been. Yeah. You were deep in the content game this weekend. Your your Instagram stories between James Harden's like celebrity basketball game slash fire truck festival on Sunday and then the red carpet on Monday for the award show. It was a whole new world for you. Red carpet Golliver. I like that you're turning over this leaf as we walk into NBA summer here. And I personally have never seen a pack of killer bees in the wild. And I don't know if they, they may have just been bees. They probably weren't killer bees. So you saw a pack of bees, but I've never really seen a swarm like that. So I'm a little bit jealous. I'm not jealous of you being at the award show whatsoever, but the bee situation probably would have been entertaining for about 45 seconds. Yeah, it wasn't even 45. I'll give it maybe 20. But <laughs> but I will say, I, I'm here to correct the record, Andrew. I think you should be jealous about the red carpet. And look, you know me. I'd rather be at home pouring over the videotape of X's and O's, of you know switchable lineups and so forth. I got to admit, I had a pretty darn good time 
uh, at the award show. Now, part of the reason why is SI had a uh, a video, uh, kind of a one-woman video entourage, Kara Klontz there, and she was videotaping herself, conducting interviews, you know, yelling down celebrities, hey, Reggie Miller, come over here, I've got some questions. She did a phenomenal job. There were some great interactions. You guys should check out my Twitter. You know, Adam Silver was asked where he thinks LeBron's going to go, and he got perfectly uncomfortable. Uh, he was also asked about the Brian uh, Colangelo burner accounts, and, you know, he had some uh some you know dicey lines for Colangelo and his wife so you know check that stuff out but more than that it, you know Adam Silver is trying to pitch this award show thing like a, a year capping event almost like a graduation celebration I don't know if it's that but I think there are some layers to it so not only did Harden kind of get to have his night and a bunch of his teammates showed up Daryl Morey was there uh, you know, Rockets, uh, you know, front office guys, you know, business side guys were there. So it really did feel kind of like a festive night for Harden. And I think that matters. I think we should celebrate the MVP uh, and kind of give them that show. Okay. You had the fashion element where you have all these different young guys showing up, kind of, you know, walking the, the red carpet and almost like in training for when they're actually famous, like, you know, Sharif O'Neal, Shaquille's son. <laughs> didn't really know what he was supposed to be doing, but he was loving being interviewed, hey, and, and he pulled it off pretty good, well. Good for him, though. That's a big night for for a seventeen year old. I guess he's eighteen now. I think he's going to Arizona next year, or maybe the FBI thing screwed that up. But yeah, I'm happy for Sharif O'Neal. That was probably much cooler for him than it was for like ninety percent of the people there. And by the way, I'm not interested in talking about this at all. So I'm trying to be benevolent I'm getting and, to a point see <laughs> the floor to you but go ahead okay so you have that angle but then you also have there was a decent number of legends there now obviously Bill Russell stole the show with you know flipping the bird to Charles Barkley but guys like Shaq Charles I mean there was actually quite a bit of uh, former NBA star power in the building Kareem Abdul-Jabbar uh, and then along that same note you know, Oscar Robertson comes out and just calls out all white athletes saying, hey, step up. You need to like get LeBron's back. It's not just him who, uh, who shouldn't have to deal with, you know, shut up and dribble. You know, he needs white allies. I thought that was a pretty powerful moment. And so when you throw it all together, uh, you know, certainly you wish everyone would show up. You wish LeBron was there. You wish Steph Curry was there. You wish Kevin Durant was there. So there's still ways to improve this show. But I actually think the awards show taken in whole, although it's maybe not as important as some people wanted to believe, obviously it comes at a bad time, but I think it does pretty accurately reflect a lot of the things that make the NBA fun and good. And, you know, to me coming away from it with, you know, new takes on the political experience, Harden's big celebratory night, uh, some funny moments, you know, lighthearted moments with various NBA celebrities. To me, being there, I thought it was a win. I could understand how someone watching it on TV maybe didn't feel that way, uh -huh. but it did seem like there was pretty significant interest on social media. And I'm wondering, does that justify this entire thing? If it just turns into like a four hour long live tweet, live gramming episode, isn't that enough for the NBA to keep doing this thing? Yeah, I think, look, the NBA is coming from a smart place on this. I just would hope that over the next few years, they find ways to kind of tweak the schedule a little bit. And I'll get to that in a minute. But there are other things that I want to respond to within your little monologue there. Uh, first of all, I am generally not a fan of Oscar Robertson public speaking because he's kind of like, <laughs> he's just 
too out of touch with the current landscape of basketball and his takes are are not fun like sometimes you have old guy takes and you're like oh that cranky old guy but oscar robertson will honestly look like look at today's nba and be like 80 percent of these guys couldn't play when i played (laughs) and it's just crazy but i didn't yeah no his his new his new triple doubles are old mean and blunt exactly he's getting getting 10 in each and i get where he's coming from and when i am his age i hope that i'm not allowed to speak publicly so it's not really a shot at him it just is like let's not do this however i didn't hear that he had said that about some of the white athletes that's that's actually a point that john wall made back in october and it was kind of lost in the shuffle because he's john wall and not lebron james but it's a really good one i think Having some some white advocates in this fight for equality, basically, and just sort of decency, it would be really healthy. And I think anyone who's calling for that is dead on. Don't get me wrong. Oscar Robertson still had takes. I mean, he basically said there's one good team in the NBA. He said there's lots of big guys <laughs> around the world, but none of them can play. I mean, look, he was shooting out daggers. He was talking about how the draft probably shouldn't exist. And then he like looked over nervously at the NBA officials and looked down at his trophy that he was presented (laughs) with. And he was like, all right, maybe I need to wrap this up and get out of here. So he was covering a lot of ground. But I did think, you know, like you mentioned, what his main statement here about, you know, white athletes and black athletes, I thought was important to say. And who else would say it? If you didn't have this award show, Maybe that message doesn't get out. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Some of the other takes are why I kind of cover my eyes sometimes and cringe on his behalf (laughs) when he's speaking. But but you're right that his message is important. And also he was being honored as sort of the pioneer of free agency who, who filed that lawsuit. And little known fact, the opposing counsel in that case was a young David Stern, who was, I believe, working at Proskauer and Rose. At, in like the 1971 or whatever, whenever that suit was filed. So that's a random little tidbit for you. But it was a big deal. And he, he is a very important person in NBA history. So that's cool. The um, the Harden Legal thing... Eagle sharp with the uh, factoids. I like it. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I had written about that in the past. The Harden thing is a little bit more interesting. I think the coronation is a little bittersweet for Harden at this point because typically winning MVP is the moment that great players it's it's when great players become universally recognized as like the elite of the elite and I think Harden was kind of already there at this point everybody who's smart understands he's a top five guy most people agree that he's better than Westbrook He's a future Hall of Famer. He's one of the best shooting guards ever. And I think all of that was true with or without the MVP. And the only thing left for him to do is is win in the playoffs. And uh, that's still kind of a, a, a real question that's hanging there. So the MVP is cool to have. And, and he certainly earned it over the last two years. He definitely deserved one of... Uh, he deserved an MVP for one of those two seasons. It just... Um, it's not as triumphant as I think it has been for other players over the last 10 or 15 years. Yeah, I want to push back on that a little bit because I think there are a lot of people who are just sort of have really focused Harden's career arc on the stumbles rather than the scent. You know what I mean? Like the Dwight yeah. Howard drama, the playoff struggles that you're mentioning. And when you look at Harden, 
I mean, he's a top 10 MVP finisher in each of the last five years. He made very steady progress up that board. His team went deeper than it had ever gone in the playoffs this year. He had a better playoffs than he's had in years past. I mean, there has been a real ascent uh, to his story. And, you know, he's kind of, you know, cresting here at age 28 with his first MVP. It seemed like it meant an awful lot to him. And I always kind of make fun of him for being like the least valuable player on the podium. You know, he's like terrible in front of the microphones. Yeah. But he was actually fairly reflective in his uh, com- uh, comments during the press conference that wasn't shown on television. And that's why I think there's some value to this event, too. It's not just what's you know put on TV, but there are some behind the scenes things where you know, these guys will elaborate. You know, he talked about being humbled. Uh, right off the bat when he got to OKC because they wouldn't even start him. He talked about you know the pressures of leadership when he first arrived in Houston and how that took him a while to learn. He talked about finally really getting comfortable these last couple of seasons, taking his game to a new level. You know, he made a pretty strong case that, that he doesn't think Houston needs to go chase free agents this summer, that he thinks they should just bring it back as is. Mm-hmm. He was covering an awful lot of ground. And by the way, he was saying exactly what you said, which is, his career still needs a ring. Like he's yeah. still seeking that, right? So it wasn't the emotional Kevin Durant crying, you know, you're the real MVP moment that maybe some people have wanted. But to me, there was this, uh, you know, this coronation, not only of hard and winning, but also of him sort of having that, you know, step back reflection, how far I've come. And, and it wasn't just on the night of the award show. I mean, the trip back to his middle school in LA was was pretty cool. I mean, he went and sat in the, the locker room. He was talking to kids who had gone to his school. He seemed really happy, happy really comfortable to sort of just be there and looser and uh, just more at ease than I've frankly ever seen him, you know, at any point over the yep. last five years. And so that's the victory tour. And it's like, if they didn't have the award show, would all of that have happened? Or would he have just stayed in Milan and Paris and and been at Fashion Week and done whatever rich people do during the summer? You know what I mean? That sounds Um, awesome. I think, by the way, (laughs) that sounds like a great summer. That's what he was doing last week. But then you come back this week and you have this nice little, you know, capper on the season. And, you know, the one aspect of the timing, you know, of course, the regular season seems like miles and miles away by this point. But the fact that they did it, you know, this late allowed some time to pass so that he could actually reflect back on their loss to Golden State rather than still being caught up in like the anger and the bitterness of the 27 straight missed threes uh, from game seven. And I think that actually played to his strength because you know, he was happy. He was able to laugh off some of the jokes like Anthony Anderson's making fun of his defense on the show. And he didn't really take the bait. Right. It just seemed like he was he, he had processed their loss. Whereas if they had, you know, done the you know show, say, before the draft, you know, maybe he would have been in a different place mentally. I don't know. I just thought it came off well for him. And I like where it's going. I didn't get to go to last year's award show. Uh, mm-hmm. But when I'm like comparing this award show to say like the Players' Choice Awards I went to in Las Vegas a few years ago where everyone was like coming in on those Funky Duck scooters and you know <laughs> Lil Wayne's performing and it's just like absolute chaos. I could see the production value and just the orchestration level of this one being at a significantly higher level. Yeah, that was also the year that they gave Harden the MVP over Steph, and it was like a big middle oh, yeah. finger to Steph and the Warriors. Um, the beginning of, of an, an era of Steph skepticism. Uh, yeah, I agree with you. I'm happy for Harden, and I'm happy that when history looks back on this era, Harden will have an MVP because it it reflects 
reality. Like he is one of the five best players in the league, five or six. And, uh, and people should know that when they look back on this, I would just say that rather than cresting, it kind of feels like he's plateaued a little bit here and he's so good during the regular season and so dominant. And it's kind of like a reflex at this point that I think that the, the baseline is high enough so that he should be gunning to be the best player on earth and that should be the well, the conversation we have and he just he's not going to get there until he starts taking over in the playoffs and and he's been kind of uneven yeah i don't know i think you're being too hard on him i mean surprise surprise but look they the last time he went to the western conference finals in 2015 they were there almost by accident he really didn't play a major role in it and uh, they got wiped off the court. You know, this I'm, year they go significantly the record, deeper against I'm Golden State. I'm not being too hard on him. I'm saying that he has already established himself as one of the like. No, five you're, best you're saying he plateaued. You're saying he plateaued. This Whoa. season was unquestionably his best year, not only in the regular season but also in the playoffs. I mean, his ability no, to play in isolation. He didn't gave do anything Golden this State season problems. that we hadn't already yes, seen he did. from him. Come on, no, Andrew. He, he come was, on. He was dominant he was in the Andrew. He was dominant in the first two playoff rounds. He right. was dominant in the first two playoff rounds in a way that he hadn't been. Their offense caused problems for everyone built around him. He was so good that he recruited Chris Paul. Chris Paul was an excellent sidekick in the postseason. They had adjustments they didn't have in previous years. He had uh, you know, some really nice moments against Golden State, and they pushed Golden State in a way they never had previously yep. uh, during his career. Those are all steps forward that we can't take away from him. Yes, he could have come up bigger at certain moments, especially late in that series. He couldn't do it all by himself in Game 7. I'm acknowledging those things, but he absolutely played better in this year's playoffs and had a bigger effect than he's had in previous That's years. That's completely fair. <laughs> he was awful in last year's playoffs and took a step forward. You're right about that. Um, and also that had nothing to do with the MVP he won, but, uh, I, well, let's, let's move on from the Harden arguments because we're both pretty much in agreement. We're just kind of sniping back and forth at each other. Um, Anthony had this question for us. I'm sure this will be a topic regardless, but can you guys please discuss the Casey coach of the year award? Do you have any thoughts on him winning last night? Oh, yeah. I mean, he was out there quoting Winston Churchill about like the measure of success is like coming back from failure. I mean, he was really, really deep uh, into his feelings when it came to the Raptors. And unfortunately, the NBA transcript, they didn't transcribe his entire postgame press conference because he doubled back to talk about the Raptors like four or five times. And <laughs> he even said during his official speech about how being fired almost made him like question whether he wanted to keep coaching or like doubt himself or have all these kinds of thoughts. I thought he was very open and very honest. And I think he was in part trying to sell the opportunity he's got in Detroit, which let's really just keep it real. That's a very difficult opportunity to sell, right? Like, like, yeah, we just got to be healthy. Well, cool. Your main guys are never healthy. A hundred percent honest. Casey seems like a great guy. And I, I'm rooting for him, but I don't really understand what the thinking was with taking that Pistons job. It like I, he was in a position where he was probably going to get paid not to work, and I just would have waited it out until there was a situation that made more sense. Yeah, he might have rushed into it. I mean, I I think one one positive benefit low expectations, right? Like, yeah, you know, you're going to be there for a few years, and you know, if it works, great. If it doesn't. Um, you know, also he's coming into a situation where Reggie was 
you know, Root Canal Reggie was injured for most of last season. So if he is healthy, you're going to look great as a coach just because he's better than the other, you know, point guard options they had on the court. But yeah, I think he might have wanted to be a little more selective. I mean, when you look at the level of success he had in Toronto, it seems like he would have been able to kind of pick and choose his job maybe next summer. Um, Why he felt the need to jump into it, I'm kind of with you. It, It made me second guess it. But I think the main takeaway was from Casey and his speeches was how hurt he really was. I mean, it seemed like the Raptors got to him, you know, the, their, their decision, Masai's decision to fire him really, you know, kind of pierced him a little bit. Mm -hmm. And it was cool to see him open and honest about that. And again, maybe we don't get that until like say September, uh, you know, on on like the preseason profile circuit uh, if we don't have this award show. Well, the flip side of that is there's been a lot of hand wringing over, the timing of these awards and whether it was cooler doing it during the first and second round of the playoffs. One guy who a million percent benefited from not doing these during playoff series was Dwayne Casey. Oh my God, yeah. (laughs) Can you imagine how uncomfortable that would have been sitting there in Toronto as LeBron is like ripping their hearts out? Yeah, it's like, Damar, I'm going to bench you, but can you hold my Coach of the Year trophy, please? We're getting swept (laughs) by Cleveland. It would have been really, really rough to watch. So I'm glad for Dwayne Casey that he got to kind of let the dust settle for a month. He's hired. He's got another job in Detroit. And, uh, you know, he look, I would have voted for Brad Stevens. We got a couple angry emails about the kind of the the way this played out. Um, Quinn Snyder was also a really good choice. But Casey did a really good job with a team that was kind of looked dead in the water back in October. And uh, he helped breathe life back into that organization. So I have no problem with him winning. He would not have been one of my top three or four choices if I could look across the league and look for like the, the guy I want running my team. But um, Casey did a good job this year. Can I, I'm glad he can, got the Can luck. I ask you, I mean, you laid out his, his, uh, his case. I mean, I'm almost surprised the media decided to latch on to that case. Like in hindsight, even throw the playoffs out. There was an awful lot of good stories or, you know, narratives around coach of the year, whether it's Brett Brown, Brad Stevens, uh, Quinn Snyder, like you mentioned. I mean, why do you think the media as a whole decided that this was Casey's year? Because he was, was it like a reward for past years? Was it just their number one seed that nobody really saw coming? I mean, I don't know. I, I was a little bit surprised that he was the one who won it given how deep the pack was. And, you know, like I, I, to be honest, I was surprised that the Celtics media didn't find a way to, to get Brad up there. Yeah. Well, and Stevens did a slightly better job in my opinion and should have won. Um, And that's that like, regardless of the playoffs, I think what Brad Stevens did with that Celtics team was like super impressive. I think Dwayne Casey his hype crested at the right time and in mid-march we were inundated with raptors hype and uh and casey was getting a lot of the credit at that point and that's sort of when a lot of people made up their mind i actually want to give credit to two factors one lee jenkins wrote a great profile of him i think that always helps boost the candidate's uh ability to win and then two I don't know if I've mentioned this before, but Dwayne Casey is the master of name checking every reporter. And I think when the reporters are voting for the <laughs> awards, <laughs> you know, like, and I actually, I noticed uh, Brad Stevens was doing that a little bit more often in the playoffs too. I don't know if he's angling for future coach of the year awards as well, but 
Dwayne Casey's got that mental Rolodex and the personal touch. And I can just see people filling out their ballots saying like, yeah, you know, Dwayne did call me by my first name once during an interview yeah. like seven times. To be clear, what you're describing is basically whenever Dwayne Casey is asked a question, he responds to reporters by saying, that's a good question, Ben. I'm glad, I'm glad yes. you brought that up. That And that is a good point because you know who else is pretty good at doing that is uh, LeBron. Like over the last few yeah, years, he has his favorites that he'll kind of like pick out in the media and they take care of him in turn. Yeah, no doubt. Well, I think it's one of those tactics they teach you in like sales courses. Like it's like how to win friends and influence people is you're supposed <laughs> to have that personal touch. And I don't know if you've caught me doing this on the podcast, but I will occasionally do that to you as well. So now when I do it in the future, just realize I'm trying to brainwash you or steer you <laughs> towards a certain opinion whenever I throw your name in, Andrew. Yeah, good. Um, well, moving on, the I don't think we need to talk about each of OKC's big three winning an MVP. I find that incredibly depressing, and God, I miss that Thunder team. But we've, we've been over that territory. Um, do you have a proposal for doing this another way going forward? The award show? Yeah. I To be honest... After I didn't really watch last year's because it was in New York and I think I was traveling and I just kind of caught the highlights on social media. I think that they need to invest a little bit more in the host. I would get a high, you know a better headliner host. I think you know Scott Travis, Travis Scott, whatever. I mean, all my jokes about his name uh, really came to fruition. He did not hold it down. I was thought he Rick the host? Ross. It no, he he just had a musical uh, guest okay. interlude. Uh, and he's very available for NBA events and sneaker <laughs> events. I mean, great I swear point. to God, this guy's like this guy's like the rap red panda. I mean, he's everywhere. But uh, I just think that they maybe should have gone a little bit higher on the entertainment factor. Like Rick Ross at the elementary or the middle school, he played so many songs. I couldn't. I got tired. He played like 15 songs. And I was like, all right, Rick, you win. I'm leaving. Like this is too much. I can't <laughs> handle it. Uh, your your catalog of bangers is too deep. So I maybe would have tried to go a little bit. Uh, you know, invest a little bit more on the host and on the music, but the rest of it, I really honestly would keep the same. I like that it was in LA. Yeah. You know, during draft week in New York, I mean, the weather there was just out of control. There was a couple three shower days for me where it's just like, <laughs> it's just so gross and humid. Like every four hours, you have to take another shower. LA, it was just like perfect, you know, 72, nice little breeze. Aside from the bees, it was beautiful. So I think they should continue to host the event in LA, they got a nice, you know, crossover with some, you know, gossip type stars who, you know, people I wouldn't recognize, but other media members there were getting excited about. Yeah. So I think they're pretty close to, to reaching the full uh, potential of this event. I don't think they're ever going to be able to convince everyone it's a good idea, but I don't think that they need major changes here. I just think, you know, minor tweaks on the talent side uh, would really all, that'd be all I'd recommend for next season. Well, I have two final thoughts. Um, I can't believe you made us talk about this for as long as we have. But number one, we have officially made it to NBA summer when Ben Golliver is complimenting Rick Ross on his catalog of bangers. So I'm really happy for all of us. Um, And I'm happy you made it to that event on Sunday. And number two, Look, who else goes from Rick Ross to Ranger Rick like I do? Okay, <laughs> that's exactly right. And by the way, you're meticulously documenting both sides of your life experience on Instagram stories. So everyone go follow Ben on Instagram. 
the second point, though, the one thing I think that the NBA should try to do, come up with a way to do this immediately after the season. I think like if you put 10 days between the end of the regular season and the beginning of the playoffs and, and have the NBA award show on that first Saturday after the end of the regular season it would be a really big event and I, I like I think the impulse to do this and and bring the whole basketball community together and celebrate guys on and off the court is a really good thing and it would just be a lot cooler if you did it immediately after the regular season and you could kind of extend the playoffs toward the end of June and uh, and do free agency well actually, you could do the draft like on July 4th every year, and that I think that would be really cool. Maybe not for NBA writers, but I, I, a lot of people would enjoy that. And then start free agency immediately thereafter and have um, have Summer League happen simultaneously. We could all be in Vegas for Summer League. It's just something I was thinking about this morning. I That, to me, would be more entertaining, and the award show could then kind of build hype for the playoffs. Yeah, I was kind of going back and forth. I think I was in the same camp as you were last year in terms of moving up the the award show. I guess I've kind of defaulted now to the alternative, which is if we can get these guys loose after the season, even if it feels way late, at least they're not sort of like in playoff mode and like holding grudges and like, you know, facing the pressure of pre- preparing for their opponents and all this stuff. And yeah. I kind of like, given how lame the first round of the playoffs often is, I kind of like just getting that over with, you know, as soon as possible. And so delaying the start of, you know, like being forced to watch like teams like the Washington Wizards in the postseason, like <laughs> just let's get them, let's get them in and out. You know all what right, I mean? Let's just get right. them done with. Uh, but the other thing I'd say is let's protect the integrity of summer league. Okay. We already have enough stuff going over the top. Like to me, free agency already, you know, obscures summer league so much. I think we need to make summer league kind of its own thing. I wouldn't be opposed to pushing summer league back a week so we can get all of free agency done before it happens. But, uh, then I realize we're pushing the calendar way into August, but, yes, um, I, I guess do my that. final verdict is leave the award show where it is and let's not, Let's not screw too much with the summer league visibility. Let's have all eyes on DeAndre Ayton in Vegas. <laughs> all right. Good deal. Um, moving on. Today's episode of Open Floor is brought to you by our friends at OneBlade. Ben, please tell us about OneBlade. Andrew, a lot of men struggle with shaving. From ingrown hairs to razor burn to just overall skin irritation it's a painful chore that most men simply don't enjoy but now there's a razor that takes the pain out of shaving and makes it an enjoyable experience that you'll actually look forward to it's called one blade and andrew one blade razor asked that i share a personal story about their inner uh, my interaction with their product and it's true i love my one blade razor so much i've got three of them and i actually juggle them in my bathroom like a clown for about 15 (laughs) minutes before I shave because it's that much fun uh, to work with such a precision instrument. It's fantastic. Once the juggling act is done, I slowly, carefully go to war with my whiskers with my one blade razor. And I'll tell you, it is such a close shave 
you'll want to do it too. Yeah, yeah. Listeners out there, you too can go to war with your whiskers. Uh, One blade will give you the best shave of your life. No razor burn, no ingrown hairs. It's been obsessively engineered to be the optimal tool for performance shaving. From the perfect pivot and weight to the finest materials, such as ultra high-grade German stainless steel. If you're in the market for a razor, invest in one blade. Invest in yourself. This is an heirloom quality razor you can pass down. Each one is hand-assembled and serial-numbered. And every one blade is backed by a full 60-day money-back guarantee and a lifetime world warranty. Use this URL, onebladeshave.com slash floor, onebladeshave.com slash floor. We've got deals on there. Check it out. There's nothing more we cherish than heirlooms, Andrew. And do you want to hand down a rocking chair or a crocheted quilt to your, uh, you know, your the next generation of sharps? No, you don't. You want to give them a one blade razor. Go That's to right. onebladeshave.com slash floor, onebladeshave.com slash floor. I want my grandchildren to be juggling razors in like 50 years. Um, but listen. Hashtag goals. <laughs> hashtag goals. Let's get back to free agency. We're going to talk like more extensively about free agency later in the week. And I believe you're going to have an interview with CJ McCollum, which will be running on that podcast as well. But before we dive all the way in, can we just talk about Paul George for a minute? Because yesterday he called out the Pacers for their lack of loyalty to Lance Stevenson, which was a fantastic way to begin the summer for loose lips Paul George. But at the same time, there have been daily rumors that he wants to stay in Oklahoma City with Russ. And I'm just curious for your read on everything as it stands right now. Can I just, you know, kind of volley this one back to you? Because I feel like I might be out of Paul George takes. I came up with loose lips, Paul. <laughs> I gave you a month of playoff P takes. Then we came through with Gatorade P last week in terms of how he sees himself as like this big time star. Yep. I understand he's got an ESPN three-part series that's going to be cataloging his decision. Um, so that could wind up running longer than his playoff highlight reel. Uh, I'm just wondering, <laughs> do we talk about this guy a little too much? We probably do. And you talk about his playoff highlight reel. It can't be overstated how underwhelming he was for the final three and a half months of this Thunder season. And, um, you know, he's approaching 30. He has been injured. Like, I don't want to be the Paul George is, is overrated guy, but like, he's probably not quite as great as he seems. And yet, he also seems to hold the keys to free agency here. And I like, you, you ask if I have Paul George takes. My take is that I think Paul George wants to keep everyone happy and is probably telling people in Oklahoma City that he really loves it there and could see himself there for at least next season and and maybe beyond. And he would probably say the same thing to people on the Lakers side who asked him. And so basically the guy who could potentially swing free agency and, and either make the Lakers more attractive for LeBron or stay in OKC and convince LeBron to stay in Cleveland or maybe go to Philly. Like we're, 
we're counting on the most unreliable narrator here with Paul George because I don't think he has any idea what he wants to do. I I have no idea what his decision-making process is. And the idea that Oklahoma City is at all attractive is to me a little bit of a strike against PG. Like, no offense, but if (laughs) if he were going to Philadelphia, I would totally understand. If there were Sixers Paul George rumors, I'd be like, wow, Paul George is really seeing all the moves on the chessboard. But I just don't understand how he could come off that season with the Thunder and be like, you know what I need to do? I need to stay here for another 12 months. Well, I'll tell you this much, Andrew. The pressure is on you uh, over the next couple of weeks because all year long, you as a casual fan love ducking the basketball talk and you tell us how great the summer is. If Paul George goes back to Oklahoma City and LeBron goes back to Cleveland, your narrative is going to die an immediate, gruesome, <laughs> bloody death. That will be such a disappointment for you know observers for everyone, who are hoping yeah. for something new, for hoping for a new you know competitor to the Warriors, just hoping for a shakeup, something different. If Paul George and LeBron don't go, and I kind of wonder whether you know we we've heard not only that Paul George is interested in supposedly interested in going back to Oklahoma City. And we've heard the same thing kind of emanating from Cleveland about how, you know, there's a lot of reasons why LeBron might want to stay. Are they trying to throw us off the scent? Are they trying to build up the drama so that when they do decide to go to LA, potentially people don't respond with, oh, I knew they would. It was always going to happen. That's boring. Like, are they trying to sort of milk this thing a little bit? Or am I reading you know too deeply into the tea leaves no that's a good theory and that is something i thought about certainly with paul george is i mean look all due respect to the reporters who are definitely hearing from real sources that paul george is leaning towards staying with oklahoma city but i will be fucking shocked if he actually turns down the lakers and decides to stay with russ and like i guess Melo's probably getting bought out, so I don't even know who who's going to be down there. It would be Russ and Steven Adams and like Jerry and Grant. Uh, but look, yeah, real squad. No, <laughs> yeah, that's the thing. I mean, if you spend on, two, right? <laughs> if you spend two years basically like forcing your way out of Indiana, trying to have the mogul power play type move, and then you wind up just re-signing with the Oklahoma City team that came out of nowhere to trade for you with no assurances. Sorry, your mogul card has been revoked. And You're no longer look, Gatorade P. It's not just that it's in Oklahoma City. This team doesn't work as presently constituted, okay? They just got punked by Donovan Mitchell and Joe Ingles and like Derek Favors and Rudy Gobert. I'm sorry. OKC isn't good enough, and I would like to see Paul George in a better situation. And you're right. All of this is probably coming from a selfish place where I'm I'm looking out at the free agency options and the idea of LeBron going back to Cleveland is just too much for me to handle. I just don't want to keep living that story. And uh and if it happens because of Paul George, I'll probably be pretty mean about holding it against him. Yeah, I mean, what is the best argument for either one of those guys to stay? Cuz I've been reading the cases, you know, kind of on both sides and I really haven't heard a lot of compelling argumentation. Like, so with LeBron, it's the fan base knows, um, you know, he's grown up with them. Like, is that really enough to overcome J.R. Smith in the, in the fourth quarter of game one? Is that really enough to overcome, you know, just dealing with, you know, the amount of, uh, roster turnover that they went through the last 12 months? Is that enough to overcome the deadweight salary contracts that, you know, that are on their, their books? I mean, to me, 
you got to do better than that. And, you know, you look at Paul George in Oklahoma City, I, I saw a headline that Westbrook is now aware, supposedly, that other stars don't want to play with him. Well, congratulations. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad you figured that out. And I'm glad, you know, Andrew, I'm glad you figured out that that team doesn't really work. I was trying to tell you that last summer and you were, you know, dead set on them going to the Western Conference oh Finals. God. So uh, <laughs> I just think there's a lot more reasons for both those guys to leave than to stay. And I'm with you. I will judge them to a certain degree uh, unless they have come up with some reasons that we haven't understood yeah. if they do decide to resign. Yeah. If LeBron stays, I will be pretty convinced that there's some kind of backroom dealing with a long-term business arrangement in Cleveland. And that would make some sense, but it would be a bummer from a basketball standpoint. Paul George, your guess is as good as mine, which I guess is sort of exciting that the guy holding the keys to free agency is someone that nobody can really read because he's kind of changing his story every other day um, in true Loose Lips Paul fashion. But uh, yeah, it's rough. I'm not going to let you rewrite history for the hundredth time about the goddamn Thunder. <laughs> I was not a believer, but we can move on. Adam says, I just saw a Kevin Pelton report that the Lakers might add Kemba to their budding super team. My question is, isn't Kemba a poor man's Kyrie? And, okay, so the answer I have is yes, but at the same time, I don't know if that's really a criticism because poor man's Kyrie is still pretty awesome, and I think if Kemba is, like, your third best player, you're in good shape. What do you think? Well, I think he'd be in trouble moving to the Western Conference. I mean, his life would be a mm, lot a more point. difficult. I mean, much tougher matchups. I mean, he could forget about any all-star consideration. Uh, he'd be, you know, bumped down the totem pole that way. But uh, if you're L.A., your best-case scenario involves getting two of Kawhi, Paul George, and LeBron. I guess the true best case is all three, but that seems uh, a little bit far-fetched, right? So if you're on the hunt for that third star – Kemba should be very, very available. When you look at the yeah. level of turnover they've had there, uh, and when you look at, you know, even like Mitch Kupchak, you know, like w what's his motivation in trying to keep on building around Kemba? I mean, you you would think he might want to clean house and, and go a different direction. So uh, he should be available. They should be trying to auction him. They should be trying to get young pieces like LA has, uh, you know, to build with. Um, I don't know if it's going to happen necessarily i mean i think that's the type of domino that we should be talking about say in like mid-july once the big things have shaken out yeah um but la la could do a lot worse yeah the kemba sweepstakes for whatever reason have not grabbed me at any point over the last 12 months he's been very available and every couple weeks we get an email being like where do you think kemba walker should go and i don't particularly care but I also, I do like his game and I'm willing to talk myself into him as like a third or fourth guy on a title contender or like a sidekick well, on a team like the Pacers. Like if he, if he does end up in Indiana, which is one team that has been a rumored destination for the last nine months or so, like I, I would be into it. Cut to the chase. You'd trade John Wall for Kemba, wouldn't oh you? Oh my God, in a second. I would trade, I would make that deal in a heartbeat. And unfortunately, I don't think it's going to happen because the Wizards just are nowhere near the trade John Wall zone. Um, but yes, in, in a second, I would do that. Yeah, just to even get rid of the contract is, is what you're thinking, right? Well, yeah, well let me I ask you, were you... The difference between Kemba and Wall is is not that significant. I mean, he, he's going to hit big shots. He's not going to play much defense. 
and he you're screwed if he's your best player, but you have a chance if he's your second best player. And putting putting Kemba next to Beal would be pretty entertaining, in in my opinion. How'd you feel about while not reaching out to your new rookie? <laughs> that was really there was a very sad tweet for people who don't follow DC sports media where it was revealed that uh Wizards rookie Troy Brown after the draft only heard from one wizard who was Bradley Beal texted him wishing him good luck and welcoming welcoming him to the team and then the end of the tweet was like and that was the only player on the team who reached out so um yes still an interesting locker room mix in Washington but uh we'll see we'll see how it goes we'll see what happens the rest of the summer here Moving on. Well, look, I think I think Wall was just too busy with the workout videos on Instagram. He probably just, you know, he was running <laughs> on the exercise bike work. for yeah. so long. Yeah, he, he just didn't have time to send out the text. I'm sure it's fine and nothing to be alarmed about. You know, I, I wouldn't be worried if I were you. Yeah, Wall's deep in the content game, just like you. Um, Matthew says, how much does it bother you guys that Phoenix is threatening to be relevant? Brandon oh, Knight, come comeback on. player of the year. And a decent free agent. I set the over-under at 42 wins next year. Uh, Look, thank you for your thoughts, Matthew. Uh, It doesn't bother me a bit. There's only one Suns hater on this podcast, so I'll cede the floor to Golliver here. I'm not a hater, but I'll definitely take the under. I don't know if is Matthew a book? Like, is, is he uh, is he taking bets or what? Yeah, we bet we could bet your mortgage on it, uh, Sharp. Taking no, the I under is always a good call with the Phoenix Suns. I don't know if they're threatening relevance, but I do think they're going to be much more interesting to watch this year. I mean, the Aiton rookie year to me, I mean, I'm really excited to watch him in summer league too. Yeah. But I think how do they figure out how to, to work him in? How do they decide how much of the offense he sh- you know should be run through him? How many touches should he get? I mean, I remember back in the day, you know, in Portland when Greg Oden was actually healthy you know, they had a couple of, you know, pretty quality scorers, guys like Brandon Roy, LaMarcus Aldridge. And I, I remember charting some of Odin's games where he actually got more offensive rebounds than passes from his teammates. <laughs> like he basically the rim was feeding him more than anybody else. And I wonder, like if you're Phoenix, clearly you don't have that level of scoring talent really outside of Devin Booker. So you're going to have to rely on Aiton. Uh, in a fairly big time way, you're going to want to feed him and keep him happy. But yeah, I think when you're looking at the best offenses around the league, there's only so many that that even try to go trending that direction. And then also, how do they utilize him? I mean, where do they want his touches? Where do they want his shots coming from? Uh, you know, we've made a lot of fun of Phoenix's you know lack of sophistication in virtually everything they do over these last couple of years. And like here, they're given a really major talent. Uh, you know, a guy who's consensus number one pick again across most of the mock drafts you know aside from the the Doncic Doncic believers yeah uh, they've got a new coach they've got a GM who should be on the hot seat if he's not I mean that's a lot of you know chemistry experiment type stuff to keep an eye on and so I don't know if that's relevant but certainly they're going to be a lot more watchable and intriguing than they were last year yeah a hundred percent and you're right to hit on Aiton offensively obviously there are a lot of defensive questions but how to use him on offense is going to be part of the riddle. And, uh, and I think that there's an, he's good at enough things that he'll succeed on that end, but it is going to be sort of an adventure figuring out the best way to use him and, and how to kind of max out what he's good at. Um, 
as far as the Suns generally, the one thing I would add is I was on a bus for five hours on Sunday, so I listened to like four oh, different cool. NBA very podcasts, cool. and I each podcast was recapping the the draft, and each podcast had a section on that Suns Sixers trade. By the way, on that bus trip, I also I I ran through every NBA podcast, and then I wound up going deep down a wormhole googling LeBron James Jr. highlights and looking at 2023 recruiting rankings and trying to figure out exactly how good he is. According to Cora, that commenting service, LeBron James Jr. is 5'11 at the moment, but I think he's projected to grow to like 6'7 or 6'8. So the the dream of LeBron Sr. and LeBron Jr. in the NBA is still alive. I'll have you know. That sounded like a real acid trip of a bus ride. So, <laughs> it was great. Um, it was great. But can't, you can't just slip that in. Why were you on a bus for five hours? Well, I was coming back from a wedding with my wife. It was my sister, my wife's sister, Paige, was getting married. And so we were headed back and stuck in traffic getting back to New York City. And the reason I bring it up, though, is because in the middle of all the Sun Sixers debates, um, one of the pods was Bill Simmons. And he had a really good point on the Suns giving away that pick, which is that, like, I get it if Phoenix wants to win now and feels like they have all the pieces in place. But at the same time, if Phoenix thinks that this core is good enough, that's actually an even better reason to keep the pick so that you can trade for one more star once everyone gets good in a few years and and this the rebuild starts to get real and so giving away that heat 2021 pick does actually hurt because it has value to to the suns for the same reason it has value to the sixers it's like it's it's one more piece you can throw in to kind of accelerate everything when it's time to really win so i didn't hate that trade on draft night as much as i kind of hate it now because i don't think that mikhail bridges is going to make or break where they go from here Yeah, I feel like that's like getting a little too far down the road, giving them too much credit, you know, like just assuming that they're going to be able to ramp this thing up. I mean, I I guess I have serious questions about whether this core is going to be any good. You know, we haven't really seen very much from any of the individual guys that would suggest what they're doing is going to translate to winning. And I also am going to be watching Aiden closely this season to see how he deals with losing, you know, and how he deals with struggles, because that's hard. It's an adjustment for a lot of guys. Booker has been pretty open and candid about how tough the first few years has been for him down there. And, you know, you mentioned not really like, you know, harping too much on Aiton's defense. You know, I'm with that. You know, I give them a pass, you know, certainly, you know, first year or two as a young big, I mean, you're going to have a big time adjustment. It's kind of all gravy if you succeed there. Right. Yep. But the fact that you're not able to play defense means you're, or, you know, we assume he's not going to be able to play defense at a high level as a rookie is going to lead to a lot of losing and it's hard to adjust to an 82 game schedule especially when you're you know in an environment where their whole locker room needs to kind of be turned upside down in terms of their mentality and, and the things that have happened there as a group and as a culture so uh, there's firework potential down there and I'm not too worried about the impact of a 2021 first round pick three years down the road that could be a concern but I think they have bigger more pressing short-term concerns yeah, my only and I'm point. with you I don't I don't think bridges solves that i'm not saying he's the solution i just think like uh you know we're nitpicking around the edges of uh, a giant dumpster fire <laughs> that's a great point my only my only thing on that 21 or 2021 pick 
which was also Simmons's point, is that even by their own logic, it, like it, it makes sense if to to look at the team and say we don't need any more young players. But looking at it, at looking at that Heat pick, like that's a piece you can really throw into a trade to try and bring somebody if they're going to start winning now. Um, which yeah, appears Andrew, to be there's the no logic to what they did. <laughs> yeah, there's no logic exactly. to what they did. Their logic was we really wanted Bridges and we were willing to overpay yeah. for him, and we don't really care about the future. That was their logic. However, else they want to try to sell it, I- I'm not hearing it. Okay. Uh, well, two more draft questions, and then we can wrap it up with a special guest. Um, Scott says, Robert Williams watched the draft from a B-dubs. I thought you guys would want to know this <laughs> if you hadn't already been informed. And look, thank you to the 10 or so emailers who hit us up on draft night, emailing us about Robert Williams watching the draft from a Buffalo Wild Wings. Um, And then clearly he had a great night at Buffalo Wild Wings because he overslept for his morning conference call with Celtics media at 11 a.m. the next day. I don't know. It's a great way to start start his career. I'm pretty high on Robert Williams as a Celtic. Um, Actually, that's a lie. I'm not really that high at all. What do you think, Ben? I think if you're trying to blame the wings for Robert Williams oversleeping, you're misguided. (laughs) I think Robert Williams needs to take accountability for missing that conference call. You can't throw wings beer sports under the bus, Andrew. There was plenty of people who enjoyed themselves at Buffalo Wild Wings all across the country. Responsibly. They still made it in for work. Okay, that's on Robert Williams. Uh, Now, Still, though, dads uh, and grads and draft picks. I'm happy for Robert Williams there. Just to be clear, we're not even being paid for this. We're just ripping because <laughs> we Buffalo love- Wild Wings has gotten so much free promotion out of us based on their like two months of ad reads. Yeah, we're not we're not mad about it. <laughs> we're very glad. Uh, <laughs> but look, I don't really have a lot of other uh, wings takes uh, as no, it relates to I, the, the one thing NBA I- draft. But did you hold on on Williams though? Like you know this guy a little bit. And we talked about him on the draft show. There was other options that they could have, uh, you know, pursued. Did you like that fit? I mean, you said you weren't high. You are high. I don't. Where are okay. you? Okay. Uh, what I would say is I like that pick in theory and from a process standpoint. If we want to use the dorky language of today's NBA internet, I think that it's a smart risk. I I wouldn't bet on him becoming a useful piece for them. It's, it kind of feels like they're trying to make up for not taking DeAndre Jordan um, 10 years ago. And it's, Robert Williams is probably not going to be DeAndre Jordan. It's it's worth finding out for sure. Um, and if he's going to succeed anywhere, Boston is the team to do it. There's a lot of structure there, and he won't be asked to do too much. Uh, it, but to me, I kind of look at it and see like James Young part two. I don't know how much you knew about James Young, but like that just never really worked out. And that's sort of how I envision this going for Robert Williams. Okay, cool. Well, can you crush him Good for talk. missing his conference call too? Please? <laughs> no, I don't care about that. That's not why I don't think it's not going to work. But all right, let's move on here. Uh, KG says, I, Sharp, I cannot thank you enough for pushing the Mavs over the karmic tipping point to us somehow landing Doncic last week. This must be someone who watched the draft show because he says, your ill-informed hate lobbed at the great city of Dallas created the perfect amount of disturbance in the universe. 
needed to dupe the Atlanta Hawks. You better at least explain yourself after that cowardly, tacky sideswipe at the city of Dallas. To conclude, fuck you, Sharp, not sorry, Elizabeth, and hashtag Team Golliver henceforth. Um, look, I appreciate the email. Reasonable people can disagree about whether Dallas is tacky and kind of depressing, but yes, I did take some shots at them during the draft show. That's just been my experience down there. Do you have any Dallas takes? Um, I mean, I, I went to the book depository. I don't know. That's kind of dark. Uh, uh, I don't know, Andrew. I don't think I necessarily have any major Dallas takes. I remember walking through a, a, a neighborhood that made me very uncomfortable with Matt Moore in like 95 degree temperature during the 2011 finals. I'm sure he remembers that. We were on the search for, for really good authentic tacos and Yelp led us astray, I think we should probably say. Um, uh, besides that, the arena's nice. Um, their, their crowd's really into it. And I think, you know, we've been getting a few people who are you know, pretty jazzed up about that Luka Doncic trade, you know, from the Dallas perspective. Yeah. Just viewing like their organization finally has a direction here after a few years of being pretty aimless, and I'm totally with that. But one thing, the sort of like holdover, leftover take I had from that trade, Andrew, is that Travis Schlenk really went out there with this deal, didn't he? Because everyone essentially agreed that Doncic is the guy who has the highest floor. Like the odds of him busting oh, yeah. out in some way is pretty low. Whereas I think most people would agree. Trey Young is one of like the highest ceiling, lowest floor type players. You know, like it could get really amazing and he could look like a genius, but it could also get pretty ugly. And it could, you know, given the fact that they didn't just draft him, they traded Doncic to draft him. This is sort of like a make or break move for Schlink's career, isn't it? Like, isn't that the kind of trade where like in three or four years, He's he could get fired and he could never have a GM job like ever again. So I think I guess so. I kind of want to tip my hat to Travis Schlenk and be like, well, you know, at least you're going for it. I mean, I, I think Doncic has the potential to make him look pretty bad. Uh, I think it's hard to say right now because it's hard to know how much of that Trey Young pick was the ownership being like, look, let's get somebody that fans are actually going to give a shit about. And or it, it could have been Schlenk scouting both players and saying, look, Trey Young is a better shooter. He's just as good of a passer. And we're going to go this direction and try to pick up an extra top 10 pick in the process, which to me, if that's what happened, I really like what Atlanta did. And I, I, again, as I said before the draft last week on this podcast, I, I'm pretty high on Trey Young and think he's been kind of stupidly nitpicked um beyond reason and i'm a little lukewarm on Doncic, and so i really liked the deal from atlanta's perspective i understand why the mavs did it but uh but i think people were a little too hard on the hawks like to me it, it really is kind of a repeat of what the celtics did with tatum a year ago and look the mavs are not going to be very good the well, the pick that the hawks get whether it's next year or two years from now, is going to be pretty valuable. Yeah, no, I hear you. I just, I'm not, it's not so much the terms, it's just the idea of like, you know, you had Luca and then you moved him, right? Yeah. And I think he's just accepting a greater degree of risk and you're getting some of that risk back by getting in the extra pick and that could really help him build a core from the ground up. But uh, I just think he's, he's stuck his neck out. Yeah, and I I'm think not saying it was a bad decision. He, I'm not he, trying to kill him for it. I, 
I think he did, though. I, I think he would be more worried if he scouted Luka Doncic and said, this guy could be a superstar. But what probably happened is that he and the Hawks front office watched Doncic and were like, he is good. He is not going to be so great that we will be haunted by this pick. So I, I would imagine that they they probably feel pretty comfortable right now. Um, but but you're right. It is a risk. And look, if Doncic turns into the next Dirk or something or Dirk as a, as a wing then it is absolutely going to haunt that Hawks franchise, which is, by the way, a team that has made this mistake in the past and passed on at Chris Paul like 10 years ago. So uh, that there's always a risk. Well, the, the, the one out for Schlenk, though, is that Memphis had the fourth pick and didn't come away with either one of them, right? <laughs> so like, there's a decent possibility that like if something backfires one way or the other, you could just be like, well, at least we didn't take Jaron Jackson yeah. Jr., yeah, I feel like that's the team that's going to be haunted by all of this is is the poor Grizzlies. Um, the one thing I want to add, though, before we move on from the Mavs, the I was kind of just generally lukewarm on, on what they did um, and didn't love it quite as much as everyone else does. But after we recorded the podcast on Thursday night, I went back to Twitter and saw that, first of all, Doncic is wearing number 77 next year, which is so weird that I absolutely love it. And then I also saw that they stole Jalen Brunson at the beginning of the second round. And most importantly, they stole the younger Antetokounmpo is now a member of the Mavericks family, which I feel like is a warning shot before Giannis free agency. Uh, To me... Those those three random notes made me love the Mavs draft like twice as much as I had beforehand. Yeah, that's a good point. What do you think? Harrison Barnes, Seth Curry, and a future first for Giannis? Who says no? <laughs> maybe, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> we could dream. Um, yeah. Well, listen. Now that was that was playing uh, chess, though. You know, to just draft him. Why not? Say Giannis, you know, it's you know. a harmless risk. Yeah. Let's see what we got here. And and Jalen Brunson's going to be good. Yeah, 10 years ago, Cuban's whole master plan was like, let's put video games in the locker room. <laughs> the players will love it, and they'll all tell each other about it. I think you know this this year his new plan is let's draft Giannis's brother and just treat him like a king, give him whatever he wants, except for playing time, obviously, because he's probably not ready for that. But like, just show him the best time, probably get him a limo to drive him around yeah. the city. He's getting that and, Chandler you know, Parsons Start the treatment. recruiting pitch. Oh, exactly. Start the recruiting pitch that way. Absolutely. Um, all right. Final email, Ben, from our old friend, Elizabeth in Charlotte, North Carolina, who what? <laughs> she wrote in midway through last week, and she says, wow, to say that I'm honored is an understatement. Being mentioned on almost every episode of the Open Floor Podcast (laughs) is probably my greatest accomplishment in life thus far. I'm so grateful to everyone who has emailed in, whether they were for or against my no profanity cause. Ben, Elizabeth is back, our most iconic listener. Can you please give listeners a quick cliff notes on Elizabeth and who she is and how what any of this means 
Yeah, well, first of all, Elizabeth, I, ne- I need to uh, thank you for emailing back in. I was worried that my extended rant about your uh, anti-profanity opinion, your attempted to sort of guilt trip Andrew into not swearing on the podcast because you have younger siblings you're trying to set a good example for, uh, was scared you away. I was really worried. So I was so glad that you emailed in that I wanted to read it last week, but we ended up teasing it for this week. And Andrew, we opened with bees talk and that has never looked like a worse decision <laughs> because we, we really buried the lead here. Elizabeth brought about a thousand words of heat in this email. And you're going to do basically a dramatic reading of point by point, what Elizabeth has to say, you know, to her fans, because really, you know, we're just a proxy for her fame here at this point. So go ahead and break it down. <laughs> well, hold on. Let me continue with the summary since you didn't explain it to anyone. And we there probably like are a decent chunk of listeners who have no idea what this is. But Elizabeth is a 16-year-old girl from Charlotte. She identified as a Mormon and she emailed in midway through the season um taking me to task for my use of profanity, which is completely fair. And then Ben opened the podcast by reading her email in full and uh i think this is like this was the jason kidd podcast the the pod where he was fired and uh and it was breaking news when jason kidd was fired and then a bunch of people probably listened to that pod expecting to hear us talk bucks and instead got golliver on his high horse for 10 minutes about my personal growth and uh and and elizabeth's complaints so it was just a, a weird moment in the middle of the season. and Yeah, well explained. Don't forget, there was a backlash, though, because hundreds of Sharp fans came out of the <laughs> woodworks all across the globe swearing in our emails in defense of you, saying that no one like Elizabeth should be out here task masking, you know, telling everyone what they can and can't say. And so, of course, I had to stand up for Elizabeth, but you doubled down. You continued to swear egregiously. And so every time you swear... I pipe up or I try to and say, look, sorry, Elizabeth, you know, he doesn't mean it. You know, I try to cover your tracks a little bit uh, so that we won't lose her uh, as our listener. <laughs> right. Well, Elizabeth continues on and says, I've been listening to the podcast with even more vigor ever since my last email was read and I turned mm. into something of an open floor celebrity. I was in complete shock when I heard the first few episodes of you both arguing over the apparent controversy I had caused. At one point, it led Ben <laughs> to compare me to LeVar Ball. My parents got a kick out of that one. Now, every time you both or an emailer mentions me with a quick sorry, Elizabeth, or I apologize in advance to Elizabeth, I simply smile and forgive everyone instantly for their non-G-rated language. The open floor globe has made its way into my heart. Now, you might be wondering, Mm. you were listening to us this entire time and didn't email back until now? Why? Well... I was. I was wondering. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. I I was pretty sure we had alienated her, um, which is both your and the emailer's fault, but, and probably my fault too. (laughs) Um, But Elizabeth says, the answer is twofold. Number one, the NBA season and playoffs were going on, and I didn't want to interrupt valuable podcast time for your listeners. And number two, I was nervous. How could I ever live up to all the hype surrounding Elizabeth, our Mormon friend from North Carolina, that I had set for myself? Anyways, I greatly apologize for the delay. 
Ben, do you have any thoughts here? I just hope she didn't watch her NBA Draft Live show because the SI video team put together like a travel video for Utah, which just basically said the word Mormon like 75 times in a row. And it was very uncomfortable. Elizabeth, if you saw that, I'm going to apologize if we offended you with that. Yeah, you were pissed um, off on behalf but, of, of Elizabeth live on camera. I, I appreciated that. Well, you know, and also just I was angry that they sold Utah short. Like there's some great national parks out there. Okay. It's not just about the religion. There's a lot more layers to it, but we don't need to get into that. My first <laughs> thought is she comes off so thoughtfully, Andrew, doesn't she? And she opened her heart to us. We've certainly opened our heart to her. This is so weird. I can't wait to see where this email <laughs> is going. Yes. Okay. So Elizabeth says, first of all, on the June 12th episode, Andrew said that Danny Ainge would say F you to somebody. I forget who. It was LeBron James. <laughs> and uh, that, that was what I was imagining was happening in the Celtics front office as LeBron rumors were circling. And Elizabeth says, did you know that Danny Ainge is, in fact, a Mormon? I would venture to guess that Danny would at least try very hard to refrain from the use of profanity by maybe using a phrase such as you suck instead. That Thank you for raising this, Elizabeth, because the second I said, or the second I imagined Danny Ainge telling LeBron James to fuck off, my first response was he probably would never say that because I do know that he's a Mormon. Um, and I'll, I'll have to investigate further into Danny Ainge's profanity habits. But thank you for pointing it out because I had thought of it myself. Uh, her second point. She's just well actualing you. This is so great. <laughs> Keep it going. She's just fact checking you up and down. I love this. Oh man. So her second point is she says, I probably have the coolest car ever. And I just wanted to show you guys. It's a 1999 Honda Accord. And as if it couldn't get any better, I recently covered it in NBA related stickers. Two pictures are attached. I trust you guys will get all the references and listeners can't see the uh, the car, but I can confirm she's got a really dope Donovan Mitchell Spider-Man uh, sticker. She's got a Greek Freak sticker on there, Jimmy Butler, Big Baller brand, uh, which kind of makes me feel old. But yes, I. Uh, the other thing I would add, Ben, is I considered posting this on Instagram, but I have too many followers who aren't like fans basically and would have no idea never listened to open floor and would have no idea who this is and i think if i said i'm posting a picture of a 16 year old girl's car it would raise a lot of alarms with some of the people in my life but uh but her car does look very cool well, good news, Andrew. I'm proud to say that all listeners can go to ben.golver on Instagram. It will be one of my Instagram stories. I have no such concerns. I will gladly put uh, the back of her car. And I also want to say this, Elizabeth, I know you're, you're probably living a very pure life and you may not be familiar with the concept of a gateway drug, but these sticker decals are really a gateway drug towards the true addiction, which should be a magnet collection. If you like stickers, raise your game. And try to get into the magnet game. And after that, you know, see what you can do with Legos. I mean, that's sort of the next step as well. But if you're collecting stickers, you know, the, the next step here, a very obvious next step is to start getting some magnets. Yes. Well, finally, Elizabeth says, I want to give both of you a glimpse into the disrespect I am faced with in my daily life due to being a teenage girl who is also a hardcore NBA fan. I was recently working out with a trainer at my gym, 
And for context's sake, I was on the floor doing crunches when he asked if I had any hobbies. I said, actually, I'm really into the NBA. I follow it pretty religiously, and it takes up a lot of my free time. My favorite team is the Bucks because I'm from Wisconsin. Wow, a member of Giannis Inc. in the flesh. Of course, of course. And then she says... He, I proceeded to show him the Milwaukee Bucks wristband that hasn't left my wrist since Christmas of 2016. He gave me a weird look, paused, and asked in the most patronizing tone, can you name me even one player on the Bucks?" I was flabbergasted. I quickly rattled off half of, oh the, Bucks, of the Bucks roster, first and last names, and said, give me any team in the NBA. I'll name you at least three players. In the end, I told him that I emailed into a Sports Illustrated podcast called Open Floor and had basically become a staple of the show. He was impressed and dropped the topic. Thank goodness for Open Floor. Ben, thank goodness for Elizabeth. This this was the best. I'm glad that we could help her ward off patronizing douchebags who don't think that women can watch sports or or love them as much as we do um yeah she's awesome that's a good way to spin it i mean it did kind of sound like they were flirting andrew we might have ruined their relationship (laughs) i mean she might (laughs) she might have scared them off Uh, elizabeth you have the crown the greatest email we have ever received start to finish Nothing put a bigger smile on my face than that email in the in the history of this podcast. Not even any of the crazy stuff Andrew said over the years. I also would just love to picture Elizabeth, you know, giving a dissertation, say in like her, you know, high school speech class. Chris Middleton, one of the many Bucks players she can name, first and last name, <laughs> is better than DeMar DeRozan and just getting into it Lincoln Douglas style with the rest of her classmates. Elizabeth, if that hasn't happened, now you have a goal for your next school year. Hey, everyone, if you want to top Elizabeth's email, first of all, good luck. Second of all, email us openfloormail at gmail.com, openfloormail at gmail.com. We've got a free agency preview coming up later this week, and then it's going to be nothing but free agency talk. So send us your pipe dream scenarios, your wishes, your trades, all that good stuff. Don't forget, go to Apple Podcasts, search Open Floor. It's two words. Find our page, scroll down. It will say rate and review, tap five stars. We are like the Postmates for podcasts. Please rate us. We really, really appreciate it. Andrew, you did an excellent job with reading Elizabeth's email, and I'm going to say your name, Andrew, again, just to reinforce yeah, that Dwayne as if I'm Casey. Dwayne Casey. <laughs> Absolutely. Look, we are unquestionably the weirdest NBA podcast again. I feel like we had gotten a little serious throughout the playoffs and the draft, but n- now we're back. I like it. We never left, but that's fine. <laughs> Andrew, until later this week, I'll talk All to right, you. All right, man, take it easy. Another great edition of Open Floor is in the books. Did you know Locked On has a daily podcast for all 30 NBA teams? If you're a Lakers fan, search Locked On Lakers. A Celtics fan, search Locked On Celtics. Warriors fans, search Locked On Warriors. Yes, all 30 NBA teams have a daily bite-sized podcast on the Locked On Podcast Network. Search on Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts for Locked On, your favorite team. Or tell your smart speaker to play podcast Locked On, your favorite team. It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.